Chapter thirty three of the first violin. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. The first violin by Jesse Fothergill. Chapter thirty three. Nein, lange kann ich diesen Kampf nicht kämpfen, den Riesenkampf dir pflicht. Kannst du des Herzen Flammetrieb nicht dämpfen, so fordre, Tugend, dieses Opfer nicht. Geschworen habe ich es. Ja, ich hab's geschworen, mich selbst du bändigen hier ist dein kranz ihr sei auf ewig mir verloren nimm ihn zurück und laß mich sündigen schiller if i had never had a trouble before i had one now large stalwart robust for what seemed to me a long time there was present to my mind's eye little but the vision of a large lighted room a great undefined crowd surging around and below a small knot of persons and faces in sharp distinctness immediately around me low-spoken words with a question no answer vehement imploring for an answer still no reply yet another sentence conjuring denial and then the answer itself the silence that succeeded it the face which had become part of my thoughts all changed and downcast the man whom i had looked up to feared honoured as chivalrous far beyond his station and circumstances slowly walking away from the company of his fellows disgraced fallen having himself owned to the disgrace being merited pointed at as a cheat bowing to the accusation it drove me almost mad to think of it i suffered the more keenly because i could speak to no one of what had happened what sympathy should i get from any living soul by explaining my sick looks and absent demeanour with the words i love that man who is disgraced i smiled dryly in the midst of my anguish and locked it the deeper in my own breast i had believed in him so devotedly so intensely had loved him so entirely and with such a humility such a consciousness of my own shortcomings and of his superiority the recoil at first was such as one might experience who embraces a veiled figure presses his lips to where its lips should be and finds that he kisses a corpse such i say was the recoil at first but a recoil from its very nature is short and vehement there are some natures i believe which after a shock turn and flee from the shocking agent not so i after figuratively springing back and pressing my hands over my eyes i removed them again and still saw his face and it tortured me to have to own it but i had to do so still loved that face beyond all earthly things it grew by degrees familiar to me again i caught myself thinking of the past and smiling at the remembrance of the jokes between eugen and helfen on carnival monday then pulled myself up with a feeling of horror and the conviction that i had no business to be thinking of him at all but i did think of him day by day and hour by hour and tortured myself with thinking of him and wished yet dreaded to see him and wondered how i possibly could see him and could only live in a hope which was not fulfilled for i had no right to seek him out his condition might be much very much to me my sympathy or pity or thought as i felt all too keenly could be nothing to him meanwhile as is usual in such cases circumstance composedly took my affairs into her hands and settled them for me without my being able to move a finger in the matter the time was approaching for the departure of von francius 
Adelaide and I did not exchange a syllable upon the subject. Of what use? I knew to a certain extent what was passing within her. I knew that this child of the world, were we not all children of the world, not of light, had braced her moral forces to meet the worst, and was awaiting it calmly. Adelaide, like me, based her actions not upon religion. Religion was for both of us an utter abstraction. It touched us not. That which gave Adelaide force to withstand temptation, and to remain stoically in the drear sphere in which she already found herself, was not religion. It was pride on the one hand, and on the other love for Max von Francis. Pride forbade her to forfeit her reputation which was dear to her, though her position had lost the charms with which distance had once gilded it for her. Love for von Francis made her struggle with all the force of her nature to remain where she was, renounce him blamelessly, rather than yield at the price which women must pay who do such things as leave their husbands. It was wonderful to me to see how love had developed in her every higher emotion. I remembered how cynical she had always been as to the merits of her own sex. Women, according to her, were an inferior race, who gained their poor ends by poor means. She had never been hard on female trickery and subterfuge. Bah! she said. How else are they to get what they want? But now, with the exalted opinion of a man, had come exalted ideas as to the woman fit for his wife. Since to go to him she must be stained and marked for ever, she would remain away from him. Never should any circumstance connected with him be made small or contemptible by any act of hers. I read the motive, and, reading it, read her. Von Francius was, equally with herself, distinctly and emphatically a child of the world. As she honoured him, he honoured her. He proved his strength and the innate nobility of his nature by his stoic absence of evasion or of rebellion against the decree which had gone out against their love. He was a better man, a greater artist, a more sympathetic nature now than before. His passage through the furnace had cleansed him. He was a standing example to me that, despite what our preachers and our poets, our philosophers and our novelists are incessantly dinning into our ears, there are yet men who can renounce, men to whom honour and purity are still the highest goddesses. I saw him naturally and often during these days, so dark for all of us. He spoke to me of his prospects in his new post. He asked me if I would write to him occasionally even if it should be only three or four times in the year. "'Indeed, I will if you care to hear from me,' said I, much moved. This was at our last music lesson, in my dark little room at the Vian. Von Francis had made it indeed a lesson, more than a lesson, a remembrance to carry with me forever, for he had been playing Beethoven and Schubert to me. Fräulein May, everything concerning you and yours will ever be of the very deepest interest to me he said, looking earnestly at me. Take a few words of advice and information from one who has never felt anything for you since he first met you but the truest friendship. You have in you the materials of a great artist. Whether you have the Spartan courage and perseverance requisite to attain the position, I can hardly tell. If you wish to become an artist, eine vollkommene Künstlerin, you must give everything else up, love and marriage and all that interferes with your art. For Liebes, Fräulein, 
you cannot pursue two things at once then i have every chance of becoming as great an artist as possible said i for none of those things will ever interfere with my pursuit of art wait till the time of probation comes you are but eighteen yet said he kindly but sceptically herr von francius the words started to my lips as the truth into my mind and fell from them in the strong desire to speak to some one of the matter that then filled my whole soul i can tell you the truth you will understand the time of probation has been it is over past i am free for the future so said he in a low voice and his eyes were filled less with pity than with a fellow-feeling which made them wondrous kind you too have suffered and given up there are then four people you and i and one whose name i will not speak and may i guess once fraulein may i bowed my first violinist nicht wahr again i assented silently he went on fate is perverse about these things and now my fair pupil you understand somewhat more that no true artist is possible without sorrow and suffering and renunciation and you will think sometimes of your old fault-finding grumbling master yeah oh herr von francius cried i laying my hand upon the keyboard of the piano and sobbing aloud the kindest best most patient gentle i could say no more that is mere nonsense my dear may he said passing his hand over my prostrate head and i felt that it the strong hand trembled i want a promise from you you will sing for me next season if i am alive and you send for me i will thanks and one other word someone very dear to both of us is very sad she will become sadder you my child have the power of allaying sadness and soothing grief and bitterness in a remarkable degree you will expend some of that power upon her when her burden grows very hard and think that with each word of kindness to her you bind my heart more fast to yourself i will indeed i will we will not say good-bye but only auf wiedersehen said he you and i shall meet again i am sure of that mein lieber gute schülerin adieu choked with tears i passively let him raise my hand to his lips i hid my face in my handkerchief to repress my fast-flowing tears i would not because i dared not look at him the sight of his kind and trusted face would give me too much pain he loosed my hand i heard steps a door opened and closed he was gone my last lesson was over my trusty friend had departed he was to leave elbertol on the following day the next night there was an entertainment half concert half theatricals wholly dilettante at the malkassen the artist club we as is the duty of a decorous english family buried all our private griefs and appeared at the entertainment to which indeed adelaide had received a special invitation i was going to remain with adelaide until sir peter's return which we understood was to be in the course of a few weeks and then i was going to dash dash reader's note that's all there is by the advice of von francius there to finish my studies dearly though i loved music divine as she ever has been and will be to me yet the idea of leaving von francius for other masters had at first almost shaken my resolution to persevere 
but as i said all this was taken out of my hands by an irresistible course of circumstances over which i had simply no control whatever adelaide harry and i went to the malkassen the gardens were gaily illuminated there was a torchlight procession round the little artificial lake and chorus singing many choruses such as wenn zwei sich gut sind sie finden den weg which were cheered and laughed at the fantastically dressed artists and their friends were flitting torch in hand about the dark alleys and the twisted acacias and elms the former of which made the air voluptuous with their scent then we adjourned to the salle for the concert and heard on all sides regret about the absence of von francius we sat out the first part of the festivities which were to conclude with theatricals during the pause we went into the garden the may evening was balmy and beautiful no moonlight but many stars and the twinkling lights in the garden adelaide and i had seated ourselves on a circular bench surrounding a big tree which had the mighty word goethe cut deeply into its rugged bark when the others began to return to the malkassen adelaide turning to arkwright said harry will you go in and leave my sister and me here that's a good boy you can call for us when the play is over all right my lady assented he amiably and left us presently adelaide and i moved to another seat near to a small table under a thick shade of trees the pleasant cool evening air fanned our faces all was still and peaceful not a soul but ourselves had remained out of doors the still drama of the marching stars was less attractive than the amateur murdering of the piccolomen within the tree-tops rustled softly over our heads the lighted pond gleamed through the low-hanging boughs at the other end of the garden a peal of laughter and a round of applause came wafting now and then from within ere long adelaide's hand stole into mine which closed over it and we sat silent then there came a voice someone a complacent dilettante was singing theclas song we heard the refrain distance lent enchantment it sounded what it really was deep as eternity ich habe geliebt und geliebet adelaide moved uneasily her hand started nervously and a sigh broke from her lips schiller wrote from the heart said she in a low voice indeed yes adelaide did you say good-bye to von francius may yesterday yes at least we said au revoir he wants me to sing for him next season was he very down yes very he a footstep close at hand a figure passed in the uncertain light dimly discerned us paused and glanced at us max exclaimed adelaide in a low voice full of surprise and emotion and she half started up it is you this is too wonderful said he pausing you are not yet gone i have been detained to-day i leave early to-morrow i thought i would take at least one turn in the malkassen garden which i may perhaps never see or enter again i did not know you were here we may and i thought it so pleasant that we would not go in again to listen to the play von francius had come under the trees and was now leaning against a massive trunk his slight tall figure almost lost against it his arms folded and an imposing calm upon his face which was just caught by the gleam of a lamp outside the trees since this accidental meeting has taken place 
I may have the privilege of saying adieu to your ladyship. Yes, said Adelaide in a strange, low, much moved tone. I felt uneasy. I was sorry this meeting had taken place. The shock and revulsion of feeling for Adelaide, after she had been securely calculating that von Francius was a hundred miles on his way, was too severe. I could tell from the very timbre of her voice and its faint vibration how agitated she was, and as she seated herself again beside me, I felt that she trembled like a reed. It is more happiness than I had expected, went on von Francius, and his voice too was agitated. Oh, if he would only say farewell and go! Happiness! said Adelaide, in a tone whose wretchedness was too deep for tears ah uh, you correct me still it is a happiness there are some kinds of joy which one cannot distinguish from griefs my lady until one comes to think that one might have been without them and then one knows their real nature she clasped her hands i saw her bosom rise and fall with long stormy breaths i trembled for both for adelaide whose emotion and anguish were i saw mastering her for von Francius, because if Adelaide failed, he must find it almost impossible to repulse her. Herr von Francius, said I in a quick, low voice, making one step towards him, and laying my hand upon his arm. Leave us, if you do love us, I added in a whisper. Leave us. Adelaide, say good-bye to him. Let him go. You are right, said von Francius to me, before Adelaide had time to speak. You are quite right. A pause he stepped up to adelaide i dared not interfere their eyes met and his will not to yield produced the same in her in the shape of a passive voiceless acquiescence in his proceedings he took her hands saying my lady adieu heaven send you peace or death which brings it or whatever is best loosing her hands he turned to me saying distinctly as you are a woman and her sister do not forsake her now then he was gone she raised her arms and half fell against the trunk of the giant acacia beneath which we had been sitting face forward as if shrunk with misery von francius strong and generous his very submission seemed to brace one to meet trouble with a calmer firmer front was gone I raised my eyes and did not even feel startled, only darkly certain that Adelaide's evil star was high in the heaven of her fate, when I saw, calmly regarding us, Sir Peter Le Marchand. In another moment he stood beside his wife, smiling, and touched her shoulder. With a low cry she raised her face, shrinking away from him. She did not seem surprised either, and I do not think people often are surprised at the presence however sudden and unexpected of their evil genius it is good luck which surprises the average human being you give me a cold welcome my lady he remarked you are so overjoyed to see me i suppose your carriage is waiting outside i came in it and arkwright told me i should find you here suppose you come home we shall be less disturbed there than in these public gardens tone and words all convinced me that he had heard most of what had passed and would oppress her with it hereafter the late scene had apparently stunned her after the first recoil she said scarcely audibly i'm ready 
and moved he offered her his arm she took it turning to me and saying come may excuse me observed sir peter you are better alone i am sorry i cannot second your invitation to my charming sister-in-law i do not think you are fit for any society even hers i cannot leave my sister sir peter she is not fit to be left i found voice to say she is not left as you say my dear she has her husband she has me said he some few further words passed i do not chronicle them sir peter was as firm as a rock that i was helpless before him is a matter of course i saw my sister handed into her carriage i saw sir peter follow her the carriage drove away i was left alone half mad with terror at the idea of her state to go home to my lodgings sir peter had heard the words of von francius to me do not forsake her now and had given himself the satisfaction of setting them aside as if they had been so much waste paper Pomfrancius was as i well knew trying to derive comfort in this very moment from the fact that i at least was with her i who loved them both and would have laid down my life for them well let him have that comfort in the midst of my sorrow i rejoiced that he did not know the worst and would not be likely to imagine for himself a terror grimmer than any feeling i had yet known End of chapter thirty three